Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning, church. Uh, we're reading the scripture today from Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34. These are Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thanks, Donna, for doing our scripture reading. <laughs> Appreciate that. Brandon on the piano. Wow, we, we, we knew Brandon could play the piano. Some of you knew he could play the saxophone. He plays the drums. And now we know he can sing, too. So you never know what's going to happen next. And if you have gifts that you want to use in the church, please see Pastor Josh, and he'll interview you and see about putting you on the worship team. Will you pray with me? Beautiful Lord, wonderful Savior, glorious God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We reverence you. We embrace you. We walk with you. We look forward to spending eternity with you and chatting with you and going for walks and just being loved by you and loving you back and kneeling before you. Oh, what a great Lord. Lord, we need you so much and we need you daily, we need you hourly, we need you moment by moment and we recognize that and we thank you that during these difficult days that we've had in the last year, that we've had opportunities to come closer to you and, and to depend more on you and to see you work in our lives. And for that, we give you thanks. Lord, we continue to pray for our world at large for our nation as a whole, for our churches, for our homes, and for us as individuals and for families. Lord, we need your help. And Lord, we just pray that you would work in a way that the way we live would make a difference in our society, that we would be the salt that keeps it preserved, and that we'd be the light that shines through the darkness, and we would offer truth that comes through your word. And Lord, that through us, our society would be preserved and bettered because of how we act and how we live and what we share, bringing people to Jesus Christ. May this church continue to be a beacon for drawing people to Jesus. May we see children and families and individuals and singles and people who we disagree with and live differently than us come to know Jesus Christ because of the love we have for them. Lord, as our government officials are making decisions, a lot of decisions, many of them contrary to what we wish or desire, some contrary to your word, we just pray, Lord, that you would superintend what's going on. And Lord, we pray for our nation that decisions might be made or stalled or moved in a direction that would be best for us as individuals and for the glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we come to your word now, we ask for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, for him to speak through me words that honor Christ and shape our lives. And we pray all these things in Jesus' marvelous name. Amen. Bob wasn't much of a handyman or do-it-yourselfer, but, you know, he always wanted to be, so he went down to Home Depot, 
and he decided he was going to buy himself a cordless power drill. But there's so many choices, I mean, different brands, and he didn't know the differences between the brands, whether it was a Ryobi or a DeWalt or a Black & Decker or a Makita or a Milwaukee. But he chose the Milwaukee brand for the best of reasons. It was red and black, and he liked the colors. <laughs> so he picked the Milwaukee, and he brought it home, and Bob was eager to start his first project with his, his cordless power drill. And so he got the drill bits out, he got some wood out, and he started drilling holes. But he was really kind of exasperated, and he got very discouraged because the drill just didn't work like he thought it should. The, hill, the, the holes were taking forever to drill. Finally, out of exasperation, he just threw his Makita power drill up on the workbench and, and walked away. A couple of days later, his buddy Mark came by, and, and Mark was quite the handyman, and he happened to see this brand new cordless Makita power drill on the workbench, and he goes, wow, nice drill. And, and Bob goes, no, not really. And Mark looked kind of surprised, and, and he picked it up, and he pulled the trigger, and then he stopped the drill. He flipped the switch so the drill would move in the clockwise direction instead of the counterclockwise direction. And then he started drilling hole after hole in scrap wood. <laughs> he handed the drill back to Bob with a smile and said you had it rotating the wrong direction to drill a hole. You see, the problem wasn't the drill. The problem was the drill-er. And what was true of Bob and his cordless Makita power drill can be true of prayer. That when prayer doesn't work, sometimes it's not the problem with prayer, it's the problem with the pray-er. Today uh, we're going to finish up our series on prayer, unless we don't finish up today. <laughs> and something else comes to mind, but I think we're going to finish up today. And I want to give you some what I call prayer musts. Prayer musts. Three things that you must do when you pray. If you're watching online, there's an outline on the PDF icon. If you want to click it and get the outline, if you came in here, there's some outlines by the door, and if you didn't get one, you're welcome to get up and grab one. But number one, you must believe. You must believe. Last night when the service hadn't started yet and people were coming in, a, a lady came in, and I mentioned, I've been praying for you, because she had a prayer request, and she said, your prayers have worked. And I said, really? <laughs> If you don't think prayer is going to work, if you don't think prayer is going to make any difference, it probably won't. James was the half-brother of Jesus. They had different fathers, of course, but they had the same biological mother. And it took James a long time to come to know Jesus as a Savior. In fact, it was probably not until Jesus had been crucified and resurrected from the dead. But James gives us some advice in James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. James chapter 1, verse 6 he says, but let him ask in faith without any doubting. So this is prayer in faith. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And we had good examples of that over the last couple of weeks here. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. We've been hearing a lot about cancel culture. Well, lack of faith cancels your prayers, James tells us. That's a real cancel culture. When Bob lost faith in his Makita cordless power drill, it became worthless to him 
because of his loss of faith. There's so many things that are going on right now, whether it's racism or politics or social issues or views on vaccines and the COVID-19 pandemic, where people go to one of two opposite extremes. And rarely are the extremes grounded in truth, and rarely are they particularly helpful in the situation. And what is true of views on racism and pandemics and vaccines is true of faith. We see there are two opposite extremes, not grounded in truth and not particularly helpful. One extreme is the extreme of unbelief that James talks about, of doubt, basically having no faith. And God speaks to us through James' writings, telling us that if you don't believe your prayer is going to work, it probably won't. I would suspect none of us like it when someone says something to us like, I knew you wouldn't do it. I knew you weren't going to remember. I knew you wouldn't show up. Demonstrating a complete lack of faith in who we are and our character. And I would suspect God doesn't like that either. When God doesn't answer a prayer as we expect it, and you say something like, well, I knew God wasn't going to answer my prayer. Well, why did you pray then if you knew he wasn't going to answer your prayer? James says, let not that man or woman, of course, expect that he or she will receive anything from the Lord. If you're going to prayer and go, God's not going to answer this one, <laughs> he probably isn't. That is one extreme, but the other extreme is the name it and claim it group. Or you might call it the blab it and grab it group. People who teach that the size of your faith determines the outcome of your prayers. They teach that the bigger the faith, the bigger the miracles. That's heresy. It's not grounded in Scripture. They will even go so far as to say that it's your puny faith, your lack of faith, that is keeping you from being rich and keeping you poor, or keeping you from getting healthy and keeping you sick. It's your lack of faith that's keeping you blind, deaf, or paralyzed. When she was 17 years old, Johnny Erickson, now Johnny Erickson Tata, broke her neck diving into the Chesapeake Bay and became a quadriplegic and spent and has spent her life in an electric wheelchair. Johnny, now 54 years later, is 71 years old. She is married. She is a two-time survivor of cancer. She is a recent survivor of COVID-19, which was especially dangerous for her at 71 years old in her health conditions and the fact that she already has weakened lungs. I recall a story that she told, and I believe she may have told it actually here in Hawaii at a conference that I attended. I, I can't find the source, but I remember the story. And as I remember it, one time Johnny was in her wheelchair, and she was at a Christian gathering, a conference or church of some sort. And a young man came up to her and looked at her and said, Johnny, if you had enough faith, you could get out of that wheelchair and walk. As I remember the story, Johnny held this young man's gaze and looked at him and said, 
It's taking all the faith I have just to keep smiling at you. (laughs) That man's cruel remarks demonstrates faith gone bad. It takes Johnny and her husband, Ken, two hours every single morning to get her out of bed, stretched, bathed, and clothed. And it takes them almost two hours every night in reverse to get her in bed every single day. And every single day, she is in pain. And God has greatly used her condition She has a wonderful ministry called Johnny and Friends. Look it up online if you're interested. Helping to reach other people with disabilities for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it quite clear in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that faith is important. And in Hebrews 11, 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. First goes on to say, for he who comes to God must believe. Must believe. You must have faith that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So you have to have faith. Both extremes are wrong. But how much faith do you have to have in order to see answered prayer, in order to see miracles, in order to see God work in your life? How much prayer do you need? I mean, how much faith do you need? Well, the Bible tells us apparently not very much. In fact, it's Jesus who tells us that. One time his disciples came to him, and they wanted to know why they were unable to cast out the demon of a young boy. And in Matthew 17, 20, the Lord Jesus tells them this. He says, because of your littleness of faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move Nothing shall be impossible to you. From what I've read, moving a mountain was that proverbial expression in the Jewish culture of the impossible. If you thought something was impossible, you referred to it as moving a mountain. And Jesus says the impossible is possible if you have faith the size of a mustard seed perhaps the smallest seed that they were familiar with. He says it doesn't take much faith to do the impossible. You see, it isn't the size of your faith that makes things happen. It is the object of your faith that makes them happen. Not the size of your faith, the object. When you pray, don't focus on how much faith you have. Focus on who Jesus is. Believe in the object of your faith, Jesus Christ. You see, it's Jesus that moves mountains. It's not your faith. It's Jesus that gets you out of the wheelchair. It's Jesus that heals your disease. It's Jesus that casts out the demon, not your faith. Your faith is absolutely powerless in and of itself. It is the object of your faith that has the power. So our first prayer must is you must believe because your faith doesn't make it happen. Your faith makes it so it can happen is what the scripture tells us. Our second prayer must is this, number two, you must honor others to have honored prayers. 
You must honor others to have honored prayers. When your horizontal relationships are bad, it's going to affect your vertical relationship with the Lord. Jesus is quite clear when he's asked what the greatest commandment is, he gives us two sides of the same coin. Love God and love others. The horizontal and the vertical go together. Speaking specifically to husbands, as an example, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the Apostle Peter says this, 1 Peter 3, 7. He tells husbands, grant her, referring to your wife, honor. There's our word, honor, as a fellow heir of the grace of life. If you don't treat your wife as she is an equal before the Lord, then there's something wrong in your relationship. And he says, you do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. So dishonoring a spouse hinders prayers. But this is only one application of a general principle. He's speaking to husbands specifically, but that's an application of a larger principle. And the larger principle is you have to honor others. Parents need to honor children if they expect their prayers to be honored. And children need to honor their parents. And wives need to honor their husbands. And husbands need to honor their wives. And friends need to honor their friends if they don't want their prayers hindered. I was curious as this word hinder in the English, which in some English translations is translated much more forcefully, is translated as stop. That's more than hinder. Block or cut off. And so I looked up the word, and the Greek word is a Greek word in corto. It's a, it's a compound Greek word in corto, and it means to cut into, but it was used to mean to break up a road. And if you want to break up the road, the pathway to prayer, dishonor people around you. It can stop your prayers dead in their tracks. You must honor others to have honored prayers. I'm wondering if that's why we as a church in general, maybe specifically, I don't know, the Christian church is not very effective these days. I look around and our horizontal relationships are not very good. When someone believes different, when someone acts differently, when someone has different values in us, often our relationships with them are not very good. And we're told that you must honor others, love your neighbor as yourself, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They go together. Jesus taught the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5 to 7. Specifically in Matthew 5, Jesus says in verses 23 and 24, listen to what Jesus says, Matthew, 20, Matthew 5, 23, 24. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar... You're worshiping God, you're praying to Him, you're talking to Him. And there remember that your brother has something against you. That there's something wrong in your horizontal relationship. Leave your offering there before the altar. Quit praying, quit worshiping, and go your way first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Jesus says, you better make sure that the horizontal relationships in your life are as good as you can make them if you expect the vertical to be good. Loving God and loving others go hand in hand, two sides and one coin. So we see you must believe, you must honor others to have honored prayers. We come to a third prayer must today. Number three, you must prioritize the eternal. You must prioritize the eternal. 
Most of our prayers are way too short-sighted and way too self-centered. We focus our prayers primarily on what is temporal, what is physical, what doesn't last. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord says, pray for your daily bread. He's not against us praying for physical things, temporal things. That's okay to pray for physical needs. But unfortunately, many of us stop there. That's all we pray for. And we leave out the most important aspect of prayer. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it continues. Forgive us our trespasses. That's eternal. That's a spiritual element. As we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. These are eternal things, spiritual things. And deliver us from the evil one. These are eternal, spiritual things. We are to prioritize the eternal. As Jesus continues to preach in the Sermon on the Mount, shortly after giving the Lord's Prayer at the end of chapter 6 in Matthew, Jesus continues preaching, and he says in Matthew 6.33, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All these things refer back to earlier when he's talking about food and clothing, temporal things that people are worried about. And he says, your priority, seek first. In other words, your first priority should be eternal things. In your life and in your prayer, seek first his kingdom. I like to say his kingdom is God's rule and his righteousness is God's rules. You see, his rule in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That is the kingdom of God, where you do His will. His rule is going on in heaven, and it's going to be on earth. It can be on earth right now if His will, His kingdom, His rule is in your heart. And His righteousness are the things that He tells us to do, the right things, His rules, His regulations, His guidelines. And He says, if you pursue the eternal first, all these things, the physical, the temporal stuff, shall be added, provided to you. We are to prioritize the eternal in our prayers. And when you do so, you get the physical and temporal thrown in with it. You could spend all your time praying for every temporal decision your child's going to make. Where they should go to high school, where they should go to college, who their friends should be, what jobs that they should get, who they should marry, how many kids they should have, where they're going to live, when they should retire. You can pray for all those things, and it's fine if you do. Not against that. But you will cover a lot more ground if you pray for the character of your child. If you pray that they come to know Jesus Christ. If you pray that they will live a spirit-filled life. If you pray they will be a child of morality and integrity and kindness and thoughtfulness and graciousness and humility and faith. If you pray for God's kingdom and God's righteousness to be an integral part of your child's life, that will take care of all the temporal decisions they have to make. It's okay to pray for both, but don't just pray for the physical. I went through the New Testament one time a number of years ago. I underlined every single prayer in the New Testament so I'd know where it was and I could analyze it. And I saw something dramatic. They almost exclusively prioritize the eternal. Rarely will you find, if ever, a list 
of physical things to be praying for that are temporal. Take, for example, the Apostle Paul's prayer in the book of Colossians. And as you turn to Colossians 1, keep in mind that both the Apostle Paul and his readers in Colossae had lots of physical, temporal needs. As the Apostle Paul writes this, he is under house arrest. You might think that that would be the first thing he'd ask prayer for. And under house arrest, he needs someone to pay for the rental of his lodging. He has to pay for it himself. He needs someone to provide him food. The government's not providing that. He has physical needs. He has physical ailments that he could ask prayer for. He has legal issues, and he's about to go to court and could literally lose his head. But that's not what he asked prayer for. And he's writing to the Colossians who had family problems. They had overbearing, abusive husbands and fathers. They had slaves and slave owners in their church, and they had slave owners who were abusive to their slaves. And yet, as he lists prayers and prays for the Colossians, he doesn't list that specifically. In Colossians 1.9, he focuses on the eternal. And he says in Colossians 1.9, for this reason, the reason is their faith in Christ, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, of your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, what has he prayed for? To ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. If you know God's will, then all your temporal decisions will fall in line. And you'll be, not only that, the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If husbands and slave owners know how to treat women and children according to the will of God, if they are filled with the knowledge of God's will, it will take care of their family situation. And when you have spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding, that will affect how you handle all your temporal issues and every decision you make. Your decisions will be made based on God's plans rather than social media's plans for your life. And he goes on to pray, verse 10, so that you may walk, you may live in a manner worthy of the Lord. If you want to know how to live this temporal life, if you don't want to know how to make decisions right now with whatever's going on in your life, well, make it a spiritual issue. Make it about your spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, so you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you increase in the knowledge of God and your relationship to Him, your decisions on a temporal basis will take care of themselves. Prioritize the eternal. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Hope McDonald. She's a well-known Christian speaker and writer. And Hope McDonald tells the following story. I'd like to read the whole thing, and it's, it's written from her perspective. So here's Hope writing. I'm quoting her. She says, Two years ago, I was speaking about prayer at a woman's retreat. After the morning meeting, a lady came up to me with an agitated look on her face. She said, Well, Hope, I think you're wrong about God answering prayer. I've been praying for my husband the last 23 years, and he is still the same old irritable, <laughs> ugly man. He'll never change. I know it. 
I asked her if she loved her husband. She replied with a heavy sigh, yes, I suppose I do. I asked her to tell me one kind thing she had done for him in the past week. She had to think about that for a long time. Finally, she said, well, I I fixed his dinner every night. That was kind, wasn't it? And I said to her, I don't know if it was or not. Did you serve it to him with attitude? (laughs) With an attitude of love and kindness, or did you just slam it down in front of him? After talking for a while, I told her I thought she was praying for the wrong thing. Not that it was wrong for her husband to come to Jesus, but maybe she needed to start at the beginning with herself. I asked her to pray that God would help her to do one kind thing for her husband every day for the next week. We took a moment to picture her doing something kind for him. Then she needed to ask for a tender heart. She needed to ask God to forgive her for the self-righteous attitude that tainted every area of her life. We pictured in our minds how her face would look when the hard, bitter lines of self-righteousness were removed. I asked her to memorize Ephesians 4.32 and make it her verse for the next few months, which says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. After praying for a kind, tender heart, I wanted her to ask God to put a real love in her heart for her husband. We pictured her with a loving look on her face. She was to look for little things she could do to make him happy. I told her what my dear friend Denise Adler says. Your job is to make your husband happy. God's job is to make him good. (laughs) Sometime later, the woman wrote to say thank you. Her husband had responded to the change in her heart and her kindness and had become a Christian. Friends, when you pray, you must prioritize the eternal. Prioritizing things like personal character, spiritual insight and wisdom, and the kingdom of God. And then the temporal things will fall into place. And please, when you pray, make sure you believe that you have faith in Jesus, not faith in faith. Will you pray with me? With their heads bowed, eyes closed, even if you're watching online, I'd like you to still join us with this prayer. Have you placed faith in Jesus Christ to save you for all eternity? That's the most faith-based eternal prayer you could pray. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, if you recognize that he rose from the grave and conquered death, and you've never asked Jesus into your life to save you, I urge you to do that now. To speak to him in your heart and say something like, Lord Jesus, I have faith in you and what you've done for me on the cross. Please come into my life and save me. Lord Jesus, thank you for hearing the prayer of those who have prayed that. Lord, as believers, we pray that you would help us be more kingdom-focused. Help us to be more focused on the eternal. Help us to be more focused on sharing with others the truth of the gospel rather than the so-called truth of our 
social or political positions. Help us to share Christ, first by how we live, how we love, and then by our words. And through Jesus Christ, we ask all these things. Amen.